Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Or better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in northwest San Antonio. We stand as we read the word today in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved in my Father. And I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the benefits that you give us, the Holy Spirit that you gave us. You are always making preparation for us. You're always providing for us. Even when it doesn't seem like you are, you are. So we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you strengthen Oak Ridge Church to make us look more like your son, to love each other and to encourage each other today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children are free to go to the children's class. I'm going to be going with you for a little while.
God, that you would come into me and that you would fill me up. Lord, you know all that I struggle with and all that I lack. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you would come and use me broken as I am. That your grace would be sufficient in my weakness. That your power would be made known as you overcome it. Or please be in the hearts of my hearers, or that they would be open and receptive to the words that I speak. And that together, in what I speak, and what they hear, and what we both do, we would glorify you with all that we have and all that we are. Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Our passage this morning is about Jesus speaking to his disciples about their impending loneliness. And as I went through that and I began to look at the text I was reminded over and over again about times in my life when I have felt abandoned or alone. Uh, one of the things that my friends make fun of me a lot about is uh, the fact that when I was in the military, I, I was not great with directions. Now, that's a perennial joke in the military about the new second lieutenant who gets lost, right? And... If you watch any, it's a movie trope. Like, if you watch any movie, the brand new lieutenant always gets lost. Well, I was a brand new lieutenant, and I desperately, desperately did not want to get lost, and yet I kept getting lost. And, and so, as I went through the, the officer basic school, and I, and I realized that I lack the ability to, to do basic land navigation, I went every Saturday for six months to remedial land navigation. What that meant was, I have spent huge portions of my life alone and lost in the woods. And, and, and there is a, a psychological thing that happens to you when you're standing all alone in the middle of the quiet woods and you have no idea where you are. It, it becomes disorienting. Your, your mental map twists and shifts and changes. There's a fantastic example of this that's given in, uh, in the book Deep Survival. If you've never read that book, uh, you should totally read it unless you're going to go out into the wilderness and then it'll scare the life out of you. It's a fantastic book about who lives and who dies and why. Uh, and there's a story that he relates in there about a, a man. He's a, a, a fit outdoorsman firefighter that is, uh, that is going to go hiking with his buddy in the, in the, uh, the Rocky Mountains. And uh, in the as the story unfolds, this man uh, becomes kind of separated from his friend, uh, and he knows he's supposed to go uh, over this rise and down into a valley and down to a lake where they're going to spend the week fishing and, and camping together. Uh, but he, he's slow. He, he, he's feeling the fatigue and the altitude and dehydration, and so he drops back from his buddy. His buddy goes on ahead of him and leaves him. And instead of 
going over one ridge and into the valley he's supposed to go to, he goes over another ridge and ends up in the Roosevelt National Wilderness. And as the story unfolds, he keeps desperately trying to figure out where he is. And as he does so, uh, the, the author describes what he's doing as bending the map, changing the circumstances so that they match the image of what he thinks should happen in his head, not what reality on the ground is. And it gets worse and worse and worse until finally he is uh, what, they, what they call rim-rocked on the side of a mountain, which means he's climbed up to a place where he can't really easily climb down in the middle of a thunderstorm with no warming layers. This is how people die, by the way. And what saves his life is he actually slips and rolls down the side of this mountain, dislocates his knee, and ends up against a tree. And at that point, he admits, I'm lost. I have no idea where I am. I'm not going to find my way out. Now I have to start surviving. Well, I've never been in that circumstance. I have been lost in the woods. I, and there is this deep existential dread that comes over you. It's primal as you don't know where you're going and you don't have anyone around you. It's terrifying. That is what is about to happen to the disciples in our passage this morning. See, they have spent the last three years listening to Jesus following Jesus, relying on Jesus. Every time they have a question or a problem, they go to Jesus. There's a storm. Jesus calms it. They've got thousands of people who need food. Jesus feeds them. They have deep questions about reality and life. Jesus answers them. And now, Jesus has told them in no uncertain terms that he is about to leave them. And they are terrified terrified. Everybody is sitting around the Last Supper and Jesus is about to make his, his last kind of statement as they're all sitting around this table and he is going to once again try to comfort them in the face of this impending loneliness. And hopefully as we see, the hope that he holds out for them is a hope that we can all cling to as well. Jesus begins by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, if there is a theme in this verse, it's that. He's going to repeat this probably four more times. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's important that we remember this. Because so often in Christianity, we can look at our relationship with Christ as this touchy-feely thing that does not have any true consequences on our life. But Jesus inextricably ties our obedience to his commandments to our love for him. It's as if he's saying, talk is cheap. Anybody can say that they love me. The people that do what I say are the ones that actually love me. And he keeps going. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, there's something interesting that happens when he says this. 
He's looking at them. They're looking at Jesus. Jesus is about to leave. And he says, don't worry. I'm about to send another helper. Now, there's a couple of things that are going on in Greek here that we need to understand. The first thing is uh, the word helper. Uh, when we look at helper, what we think is somebody at a lower level than us that hands tools to us while we do a job. If you're an electrician, your helper is the guy that drags all the conduit over to you. If you're a dad, your helper is your kid, and they never hold the flashlight in the right place. And they always hand you the wrong wrench at the wrong time. Or they run away before the job is done. That's what a helper is. Okay? But when he's talking about a helper here, he uses the word paraclete. And paraclete means something more like helper, comforter, and advocate. It's like if your lawyer was also your counselor, right? If your lawyer was also your counselor and your pastor at the same time, okay? Not just the guy that took money from you and didn't actually do what you asked him to do. No, no, this is somebody who's going to advocate for you, but also help you and also bring you comfort. That's what a paraclete is. But it's interesting here because he... He also says, I'm going to send to you another paraclete. And in this, he is classifying himself as a helper. He's saying, I have helped you through this, and I'm going to send someone else who's going to help you. Now, here's the interesting part. When he says helper, when he says another, there's two ways you can say another. You can say heteros, which means something that is different in type, right? So we use the word heterosexual to mean somebody, a male and a female, right? Heterogeneous, something that's different. Another, in this case, means something that's different. Well, that's not the word that he uses. He, he uses the word allos, which means the same as, the same in nature, the same in type. So what is he telling them? He's saying, I have been a helper to you, and you're going to have another helper of the same kind and the same type. But what is this helper going to be like? Is it going to be a, another man? Is it going to be a prophet, a priest, or a king? No, no. He is going to send the Spirit. This helper is going to be with them forever. Jesus has been with them for three years. This helper is going to be with them forever. And this helper is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Now, what on earth is the spirit of truth? Is that like the spirit of Christmas? Right? No. The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God that dwelled with His people as a fire in the desert and appeared on the mountain in a cloud with thunder. The same Spirit that descended on men and women in the Old Testament to give them special abilities to do amazing tasks. Over and over in the Old Testament, we read then the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and then they did something amazing. The Spirit of the Lord came on Samson and he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Right? The Spirit of the Lord fell on Moses. The Spirit of the Lord fell on Elijah. The Spirit of the Lord fell on Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord fell on the people in the Old Testament. But now the Spirit of the Lord is not going to fall on His people. The Spirit of the Lord is not going to come and go based on what they're doing or the task that they have at hand. No, no, no. 
he says something amazing. He says, you know him, the world will not see him, but he will dwell with you and will be in you. See, Jesus is leaving them with a difficult mission. He acknowledges that. He's leaving them in a difficult place. They're about to go through something horrible. But he's saying that there is going to come a helper. And this helper will be inside of you. See, God asks hard things from us. There used to be an old recruiting poster for the Marine Corps that said, I didn't promise you a rose garden. God does not promise us a rose garden. He has not promised us an easy life or an easy job. And yet, what he does promise is that he will equip us and enable us to be able to serve him in the way that he has called us to. I know that sometimes when we look at the job that we have ahead of us, sometimes when we look at the world around us, we become beaten down. We begin to feel alone, right? We begin to feel like, is there anybody else in the world that is going through what we're going through? Now, maybe some of you don't know what this is like, but I've rooted for Texas A&M most of my adult life. And on top of that, I've been an Astros fan, so I know what it's like to feel like the entire world is against you. But God has sent a helper to enable us to be able to do the things that he's called us to. When Jesus goes on, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, this seems a little bit dramatic, but in this time, an orphan could refer to somebody who had lost one parent or two parents or to students that had lost their teacher. Because, see, that's part of being a disciple is relying on your teacher so much that your life is built around them. When we call you to discipleship here, when we say that our job is to create disciples at this church, it means that we are trying to make Jesus such an integral part of your life that if you remove him, you fall apart. It's the kind of codependency that's okay. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. That's a lot. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Here we see it again, right? Love and obedience are inextricably tied. If you love him, you will do the things that, you, that he is calling you to do. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and manifest myself to him. There's a lot going on in that passage. And I'd be lying if I told you that it's easy to understand what's going on in that passage because that passage is describing truths that are probably too deep for us to fully understand. He begins by telling them that he's not going to leave them, that the world will no longer be able to see him but they won't be, and they won't be able to touch him or abuse him, but he will still be with his disciples. He's speaking to the reality that it is the most that often the things that we do not see that are the most important things in our entire lives. He wants them to know that he may not be with them physically, but the physical world is not the only thing that matters. It's not even the most important thing. 
The unseen realities are what drive our lives. He's reminding them that just as he is one with his father, even though no one can see his father, so they will be one with him, even though they will no longer be able to see him. And this oneness will be driven by their obedience. Now this is deep. And this is complex. And this is hard for us understand. It's hard for us to understand. Because what he is doing is describing the mystery of the Trinity. And so Judas, the son of, Ju- of James, asks what he means. How is this going to work? What, what are you even talking about, Jesus? And so Jesus begins to flesh out the mysteries of the Trinity. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come into him and make our home in him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to take up residence in them. This is the spirit of truth, the spirit of the living God. And just as when they see him, they see the Father because he and the Father are one. When they are indwelt by the Spirit, they have oneness with the Son and the Father. Let me say that again. Over and over and over again, Jesus has been telling the Jews and his disciples, when you see me... You have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus and the Father are the same thing. Okay? Jesus and the Father are not different manifestations of the same God. It's not like God appears as Jesus. No, no. God and Jesus are different, but they share oneness. But pastor, I don't understand it. That's okay. Nobody does. Okay? you got to hit the I believe button on this one. There are some things that your mind cannot understand, and that's okay. That's part of being a creature, right? That's part of re- understanding our createdness, is realizing that there's some stuff that we just are not going to intrinsically get. It's like trying to understand gravity. Like, really think about gravity? It's like a sphere that pulls everything in. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Nobody does. Jesus is one with the Father, and here's the deal. The spirit that is going to come into us is also at one with the Father. And when it lives inside of us, we have oneness with the Son and with the Father and with the Spirit. They are different persons with their own identity, but they are one and the same God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not God. It's not the Father, but but the Father is God. The Son is God and the Spirit is God. And when the Spirit of the living God lives within us, we have oneness with the Father. So the promise is that the Holy Spirit will dwell in and among his disciples. And this is the important part. right? We get so wrapped up on the Trinity and how it works. It doesn't matter how it works. It's infinite. Your mind can't handle the infinite. But you know what your mind can comprehend? the reality that Jesus is about to lay out to them. 
See, the spirit of the living God that used to live among his people, external to them, as a cloud or as a pillar of fire, who dwelt in the tabernacle or dwelt in the temple, he doesn't live there anymore. Now the spirit of the living God lives inside of each of his believers, each of his followers, each of the members of his church. The promise is that the Holy Spirit will dwell among his disciples as an invisible, eternal presence, and that through this they will feel the presence of Christ and the Father. This is the promise. This is how, look how, listen to the way that Paul describes this. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Long, long ago, God promised his people that one day he would take their hearts of stone out from their chests and he would put living hearts inside of them and then he would live in those hearts. He creates a dwelling place inside of us and then come and is, and is with us. And everything that we saw before with the temple and the tabernacle, all of those things point to this reality that someday we will be made so holy that God himself will come and dwell with us. Again, Paul says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within, who, within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. See, God lives among and inside each Christian's as his temple. And th this is one of those things that becomes so annoying when you hear people bandy this about and talk about this in really, uh, really kind of crass terms. People use this term, well, my body is a temple, Right? My body's a temple. That's why I oil it up and lift weights. Because I'm magnifying the temple. Right? I got to take care of my temple. Now, generally when they do this, it's because they're selling you supplements or vitamins or, God help us, essential oils. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get some flack for that later, just so you all know. It's going to be a hard day for me at my house. Right? People use that. Well, your body's a temple. You need to take care of your body because it's a temple. Now, I'm not telling you not to take care of your body, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying your body's a temple, so you need to make sure you lift weights. Or your body's a temple, you need to make sure you eat right. He's saying your body is a temple, so don't destroy other temples. Don't defame the temple of the Lord your God in the same way that you should not take idols and erect them in the temple in Jerusalem. Don't unite yourself with a prostitute. Don't begin to go to pagan sacrifices. Don't put yourself in a place where the temple of the living God is involved in the worship of that which is false or perverse. This is why Paul uses this to talk about idolatry and to sexual immorality. He's saying all other sins that a man commits are outside of himself, but those who sin sexually sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit that is you. But it goes beyond that. In Romans 12.1, probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, after laying out one of the best examples of Christian theology in Romans 
1 through 11. In Romans 12, 1, he, in his so what passage, he begins to describe what that means. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. See, our spiritual act of worship is to daily sacrifice our lives, our priorities, our identity to God through obedience. If you love me, you follow my commandments. He who loves me will keep my commandments, and I will show myself to him over and over and over again. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Those who don't love me don't follow my commandments. You see how that works? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We are his temple. And just like the priests in ancient Israel would sacrifice every single day and would worship him through sacrifice, we are called to sacrifice him. But we don't sacrifice bulls and goats. That's easy. We sacrifice our will, our identity, the things that we want to do, our preferences, Every single day of our life. That's what it means to pick up your cross and follow him daily. It means day in and day out, we do the things that we don't want to do. Day in and day out, we put his will above our will. That's the burden of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, Jesus is not leaving the disciples. He is changing the way that he interacts with them. He is, instead of walking next to them, he will be living inside of them and empowering them to live obedient lives of service. And so he concludes his dinner by reassuring the disciples that they're going to have peace and knowledge, right? Yeah, there's a burden with having the Holy Spirit in you. Right? God is right there with you all the time. Right? He's there with you all the time. You can't get away from him. Of course, you can't really get away from God anyway. He's there. He's in you. He's moving. But the other side of this is you have the power of the living God inside of you. You are the Ark of the Covenant. You are the temple of the Most High God. You are the tabernacle in the wilderness. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as I do. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going now to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. See, the Spirit is going to be their teacher. One of the things that the disciples are worried about is their continued lack of understanding. And so Jesus is about to leave them, and they feel unprepared to face the challenges that are going to be coming at them. This is understandable because they don't really still understand who he is or what he's doing. Like, they don't really understand. They're starting to, but because it's so super weird, they can't get their minds around it. 
Jesus wants them to understand that one of the roles of the helper will be to clarify things to them. He's going to teach them new things, help them to remember old things, and to interpret the reality that they find themselves in. Right? This is the promise that Jesus made to them. He said, when you stand before kings and rulers and judges, I will be there to tell you what to say. There is the promise of guidance, the promise of wisdom. He's leaving, and so now they need to adjust to that reality. Not only is he going to teach them, he's also going to give them peace. He's going to empower them. All of these things are going to come as Christ leaves. See, Jesus is about to leave the disciples, but he's not abandoning them because his departure will lead to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The yoke of Jesus is easy, but the mission that he has called the disciples to is hard. Incredibly hard. And the disciples' training is almost over. It's now time to step out into the power of the Holy Spirit to obey the commands of Jesus and to love God, to love their neighbor as they fulfill this hard mission, to serve as witnesses in a fallen world. When he leaves, they're going to be sad and they will feel alone. But he wants them to know that they're not going to be alone and that they shouldn't be sad because they're about to receive the spirit of the living God falling on them like fire. And that the spirit will empower them and comfort them and guide them as they shake the pillars of Rome and as they change the entire world. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to that same mission. We have been called to live out our lives, to pour them out in service to the gospel. And I know that at times we feel abandoned and unequal to the task. Over and over again, in conversations that we have, people describe to me how difficult it is to live as followers of Christ in the culture that we have. How they feel abandoned, how they feel alone, and how they feel powerless. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know this. This has not changed. We have this, this, this uh, reoccurring theme in our conversations. Everything is falling apart. The end must be near because everything's so bad. Really? It's worse than it was at ancient Rome? Because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this. Nobody in Washington is illuminating their garden parties with Christians that have been dipped in oil and set on fire. That's pretty bad. So until you get to that point, we're not worse. There's sexual immorality in the United States. Is it as bad as ancient Rome? I don't know. Maybe it's a toss-up. Things have always been bad. And until Jesus comes, they always will be bad. There's no time when it was good. If you're remembering it good, it's because you're misremembering it. That's called rose-colored glasses. That's why I think that uh, my time at boot camp was actually fun, when it wasn't. You'd be like, oh, man, it was so good. Remember all that cool stuff we used to do? Actually, no, I don't. We call that type 2 fun, fun that seems fun in the rearview mirror. It's like camping. Camping's not actually fun. You just think it's fun later. We have to be incredibly careful 
our mission has been hard, it is hard, and it will be hard, and that's okay, because we have everything that we need right now to do the things that God has called us to do. I want you to listen to me. Our culture is not beyond the hand of God. There is no one in our culture right now that is so lost that God cannot rescue them. The, the most egregious transgendered lesbian abortion doctor is not beyond the helping grace of God. They are not so pagan that they can't come to him. And we've got to get this out of our mind that somehow we're in a place that's so broken that God can't work. Because here's the reality. The same spirit that was in the disciples is in you. The same power that God has given to the disciples, he gave to you. It's the same spirit. What did Jesus say? Greater things, you will do greater things than I did. We will move in power. You will see the heavens opened and the Spirit of God come down. Brothers and sisters, the problem that we have is that we have convinced ourselves that things are beyond the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we have convinced ourselves that we don't have something that the apostles had. And I, I'm going to tell you this. The thing that we lack is the willingness to do what Christ told us to do. Because we've gotten comfortable. As my brother Robert Jimenez says, we are sitting on our blessed assurance. And we're not doing the things that he called us to do. But it's for somebody else to do. Evangelism is somebody else's job. Right? Going to the nations, that's for somebody else to do. Our job is to do the incredibly important work of keeping these pews from flying up into the ceiling. Because if we don't put our blessed assurance on them, oh, they might just float away. Brothers and sisters, each one of you has been saved for a reason. You have been called to a purpose. And God will empower that which he commands. See, he has poured out the Holy Spirit on each of you at the moment that you were saved. And it's time for you to begin to live like that. See, the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher. We live in confused times, and it seems that Christians are more confused than the people around us. It seems impossible to navigate in the culture, and we're like, what do we do? I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. That's good. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you. How does the Holy Spirit guide you? Well, he gave you the Bible, and then he illuminates you so that you can understand it. Right? The Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the disciples as they navigated an incredibly hostile world. He gave them the words that they wrote down into the Bible. They helped them to remember the things that Jesus said as they wrote the Gospels. And we're no longer in a place to write Scripture, but that doesn't mean that we can't read Scripture. As the Spirit of truth he will speak to you through the word of God, illuminating teachings and guidance that comes from Jesus. He may cause you to remember precious biblical truths and direct your thoughts to the finished work of Christ. But guys, you need to understand this. All of this depends on your connection with him. 
So often people come into my office and they're like, well, Pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Can, can you, can, how, how do I know what to do? I'm not sure what to do. The first thing you have to do is you have to be connected to God. You have to be connected to the Holy Spirit. And how do we get connected to the Holy Spirit? We have to love Christ. And how do we love Christ? Well, our love for Christ is proved by the things that we do. Not earning our salvation, but we're living like we actually love him. The more we conform our minds to him, the more that we conform our actions to him, the more he reveals his will to us. Right? That's what Romans 12, 2 means when it says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God wants you to do? Read your Bible, pray, follow his commands. Love your neighbor, love, your, love God. You do those things, and I guarantee you, oh, you can't, yes, I guarantee you, you will know what God wants you to do. If you're confused right now, if you're lost right now, there is a solid chance that you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, or you're not living the way that God has called you to live. See, our God sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide, but he's also our comforter. God comforts his people by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit may supernaturally strengthen your soul and give you peace that passes understanding. He may give you confidence in the work of the Lord. He may comfort you through other Christians in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But, but listen to me. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort you, but he's going to comfort you in a particular way. There are people right now that are watching this on Facebook that are like, I don't understand why the Holy Spirit isn't comforting me. I feel so alone. You know why you're alone? Because you're not in the body right now. You want to feel not alone? Join the body of Christ. Leave your home. Stop playing golf on Sunday morning. Or gardening on Sunday morning. Or going to children's sports events on Sunday morning. Come and be with God's people. Am I allowed to say that? I don't really care. I'll say it. So often people are like, well, I just feel like God's moved away from me. I'm like, you ain't been at church in six months. What do you mean God's gone away from you? We've been the same place for 40 years. Guess what? It's not a mobile home. I don't move it on the week, during the week. Can I tell you a secret? It's going to be here next Sunday. If you feel lost right now, come on back. If you feel lost, come to the place where God works among his people. See, he brings peace, but he brings peace in community. He doesn't bring peace to you when you are all alone by yourself far away. You know what happens when you're by yourself and far away living on your own little island? You fall into despair. You fall into dislocation and you fall into sin. So allow the Holy Spirit to use the body of Christ to bring peace into your life. See, he brings guidance and he brings peace, but most importantly, most importantly, he brings the power of God into your life. We feel powerless right now because our values don't run this government. 
Our values don't run the schools. Our values are not represented in Hollywood or in academia. But let me tell you this, that doesn't mean that we are powerless. All of those things are shadows of the power of the living God. And so we need to stop looking to those things to change the world. And we need to allow the power of the living God inside of us to change the world. Because you know how we lost those things? Because we stopped evangelizing and discipling. See, we relied on the government to disciple people. We were like, we're just going to make rules that will make people act good. And then I don't have to talk to them. Because talking to people is hard. So God took that away. You want to change this world? Go and evangelize to somebody and then spend your life discipling them. Stop watching Fox News or Politico or BuzzFeed or Newsmax, or the pillow guy, whatever his name is. Okay. <laughs> Go find somebody weird that doesn't look like you and tell them about Jesus. And if you tell enough of them about Jesus, one of them's going to accept. And then the hard work begins because you're going to have to spend the rest of your life with that guy. <laughs> Praying with him. Talking to her. See, the devil stalks through the world like a lion, but the Holy Spirit is a lion. And what we need to do is let that lion roar, brothers and sisters. Y'all pray with me now. Dear Lord, God, I have wailed on these people for 45 minutes, and they are tired of my voice. I ask that you would bless them as we move forward, that you come into their lives, that you would empower them for service, that your spirit would drive them and empower them and guide them into your will. Lord, if there are people here this morning that do not know you, during our time of invitation, I ask that they would come forward to accept you. If there are people here that have accepted you, that have never been baptized, I ask that they would come forward, that we could put them into the waters of baptism and demonstrate what new life looks like. If there are people here who have no community, Lord, I pray that they would come forward so that we can bring them into membership here at this church. Lord, if there are people here that are just broken, I ask that you would bring them forward so we can pray for them that the power of your Holy Spirit manifested in your church would change their lives. God, I claim all of these promises in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.